Hey everybody, welcome to Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Shout out to our returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everybody joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. My guest today is a writer, speaker, and educator with a passion for helping all people to reclaim their self-worth and their humanity. A former foster child turned adoptee, she brings awareness, healing, and liberation to the topics of toxic white supremacy culture, systemic injustice, mental health, faith reconstruction, and bold, purposeful living to her growing audience. It is my honor and privilege to welcome Caroline Sumlin to the show. Hey, Caroline, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. <laughs> it is It is. It is an honor and a pleasure. Connected with Caroline on, first started following her on Instagram, um, specifically due to a post about white supremacy. This is really early on in my own personal journey of learning and unlearning those internalized white dominant cultural ideologies uh, that I had grown up with as a transracial adoptee where I lived and was really early on in that journey of identity. And Caroline's work has really been a staple in that journey for me when it comes to not only addressing my own self-worth, but really holding myself accountable to the conversations that I want to be having, not only with myself, but with the people and community that I find myself in. So I just wanted to set that stage and thank you so much for being such a pivotal part of my journey and for taking the time and giving me the privilege of having this conversation with you today. Oh, no, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me. I feel equally as honored to be here. You know, I follow you as well. Um, I don't remember exactly what made me follow you. I think actually I saw you follow me and then I clicked your name and I saw that you were an adoptee. So I immediately hit that follow back because <laughs> whenever I find other adoptees online and especially those that are talking about adoption, mm. um, I, I got to hit that follow back because the adoptee community is so strong. So your work has also helped me tremendously in my own um, kind of dealing with the things that come with being an adoptee and the struggles that come with that. Things that I didn't know existed. They're like, oh, that's, I am doing that. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, like you think you're fine. And you're like, you see your policy. You're like, oh, I guess what that thing's doing on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, no, I, the, the, the feeling is mutual. The, the pleasure and honor are most definitely mine. Well, I really, really appreciate that. And honestly, it's not only a privilege to just have this conversation, but be able to have this conversation with you specifically about this book that you'll have coming out. We'll all be free. Very, very excited to dive into that. Um, before we do, or I guess as we do, I introduce you a little bit, but for people who may be listening to the show who don't know who you are at all, would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself and then maybe go into why you decided to write this particular book? Oh, that's so hard because um, you just read like a bio of me. Like, what else do I say? <laughs> like, hi, I'm Caroline. Um, no, but um, hi, I am Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give you like the fluffy um, intro. So I'm trying to think of something different to say. But I, I will say that um, I, I wrote this book because I, I knew this was exactly exactly what your podcast is about this is the missing piece of the conversation that we're not mm. having about self-worth and self-worth has been a struggle of mine since birth even though i know we technically don't remember birth i know this has been a struggle of mine since birth we connect on the similarities of our adoptee struggles and i always thought that adoption and my own personal traumas and challenges 
were the just kind of the, the sole finite reason for my self-worth struggles. And um, my entire life has been like self, self-worth has been the central theme of my life, the central theme of it from being in the pits of despair within um, a lack of self-worth uh, mentality mindset um, to the journey to kind of get to where I am now where and, and it's still on a, I'm still on that journey of reclaiming that self-worth and in truly um, believing and living as someone who knows that she is worthy of doing so. And even when I first dreamed of writing a book, dreamt, dreamt, dreamt of writing a book, my apologies. I'm a writer, guys, I promise. <laughs> Just I have to use it the source sometimes to remind myself what words to use. Um, but when I first dreamt of writing a book five, six, seven years ago, I always knew that book was going to be about self-worth. And I kind of prayed and thought and meditated and it would just kind of, it would just kind of leave it alone and come back to it and kind of, you know, I, I, just, I just knew, I knew that was what it was going to be about because my, my struggle with it is so, so, so deep. But again, I always thought about it as a personal struggle mm. and it's something I needed to personally overcome because most of the things, I mean, self-worth is not some sort of new topic. This is something we, we talk about. There's, there's literally infinite books out there about self-worth and every conversation approaches it as a very individual thing. Here are the things that you need to do to find yourself worthy and to believe yourself worthy and just say these affirmations and manifest these things and you will feel it and hooray. And that's just not the case. I, I tried. I tried all of those things and it still wasn't working. It wasn't until I was doing research about why why white supremacy exists in the first place. And I was, I began doing this research, something I've always researched, um, being that I went to a historically black college, my background um, in journalism, things of that nature. This is not new to me, but I really began diving deeper into it within the last three years. And I was mainly to answer my own personal question of what the heck is wrong with us? Why does white supremacy exist? Like why? Like where did this freaking concept come from mm. and I was doing that research in my own response of hurt and despair following just racist attack after a racist attack and it does not start with George Floyd everyone says this all started with George Floyd no 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 we can go back to Trayvon Martin okay mm -hmm. um in 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 Rodney King so let's let's be real and in that just like desperation for an answer as to why like I remember being in a state of like why why the hell can I swear? I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Swear away. <laughs> why the hell do white folks hate us? Like that was literally what my brain was saying. Like, why? What do we do? What do we do? Because I had never really been taught where the racism came from. Mm. I've only been taught that super whitewashed version of history mm -hmm. with the with the phrases because of the color of your skin. Well, my skin ain't do anything. My color, the color of my skin ain't do anything wrong. So where did this come from? And so in that research, I began to realize the depth of what white supremacy was. I discovered mm. white supremacy culture and the light bulbs went off. Light bulbs went off. And I just started writing more about it. And thankfully that writing about my discoveries led to the privilege of being able to write this book, which I am prayerful and hopeful will really be transformative to many people. 
I really appreciate you sharing that and breaking down how you got to this point, because like you said, you know, you feel like you've felt this struggle with this feeling of worthiness with self-worth since birth. Like you've known that like, even before you had memory, like this was something that you were fighting to attain, to understand within yourself. And then, like you said, you know, people have been writing about it, talking about it forever from this individual standpoint. And at a certain, at a certain level, like it just, it loses maybe some of its power because it is so individual in the the text that's available, the resource that's available to talk about this subject. And for you, you stumbled upon what should be the most obvious thing at the root of it all, but what is, I believe, that missing piece, which is how does white supremacy specifically affect the way that we think about ourselves and view our worthiness, how we define that for us? Is that, am I on kind of the right track there? You're on the nose, yes. Perfect. So can you, like you said, you, you, the floodgates opened when you kind of understood this concept and how it was really or when you when you found the roots of it, I guess. And so let me ask you, can you define what a culture of white supremacy is, how we found ourselves in it? And can you talk a little bit more about the roots of that ideology and specifically what you found as to how maybe one or two or any of those roots affect this specific conversation around worthiness? So first, white supremacy culture. Really important to understand that there is systemic white supremacy and white supremacy culture, right? Our culture, any culture that we, we, we have, there's, there's many, many cultures out there, right? You want to just break down the simplicity of culture. It is, it is beliefs, customs, and norms that are essentially carried out by a group of people, right? So there's many cultures out there, right? I'm a Black woman. We have our own culture within the Black community. Um, many different races, ethnicities, countries, et cetera, have cultures. And most of those cultures develop over time based on a lot of times, government structures, um, policies, procedures, people that are in positions of power that influence how the people that are beneath them are to live their lives. And, and, and that thus creates the norms and, 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 and belief systems that the people of said society or said system or said group within leadership position, mm-hmm. right? That that's that's how that is created, right? Churches have cultures, workplaces have cultures, classrooms have cultures, right? Mm. Your teacher sets your culture in your classroom. So when you think about a culture in that respect, you think about our culture here in the Western world specifically. That's primarily what I speak about. Well, what? However, white supremacy culture does infiltrate globally. Mm-hmm. I make sure to emphasize that my work is primarily about the Western world, more specifically America, but um, does include everything that would be considered the Western world. That would be Europe. That would be Canada. That would be even the um, the Americas, mm. uh, Central and South America as well, can be included in that, even though it's going to look different based on those sure. locations. Right. But West, but but we know that white supremacy covers globally and but especially the Western world, because that's the prim- primarily where colonization took place specifically with the um with the dominant takeover of land and the trans the transportation of enslaved Africans to mm. these areas, right? So through that original sin of the Western world, through colonization and and enslavement and um and the creation of race based on racism, important to understand racism came 
first. And then race was created to justify racism, justify anti-blackness, a systemic society of white supremacy was building, right? To in a, a social order that was very much apparent. It was not a, in this day and age, it's more so hidden, but mm. historically it was not hidden. It was prominent. It was legal. It was documented. That That is facts. We cannot deny those facts. So if you have that, that foundation that a society is being built upon, you're going to then create a culture that answers to that society, to answers to that system. And that is where white supremacy culture comes from. Mm. So in to, to, to summarize or just kind of give white supremacy culture a, a definition that's easy to understand, it is the norms, beliefs, customs, right, that specifically believe that whiteness is better and whiteness is valued. So all of our norms and, and beliefs as a society sort of center around this overarching belief that we've been told that whiteness is value, that whiteness is supreme, that whiteness is standard. And that comes from what? That comes from the systemic mm. white supremacy that was created that ensured that white people and whiteness was always at the top of the hierarchy. So now in every single one of our institutions, subcultures, all those cultures that I mentioned are all individual subcultures and in our overarching culture as a society, answers to white supremacy culture, maintains and perpetuates white supremacy culture because it's ingrained in us. Literally, you cannot escape it. It is ingrained in our DNA. It is literally the air we breathe. We are swimming in the water of this, this ideology that whiteness is the standard of humanity. In, and we all, in order to, in order to, um, to fit within culture, in order to be worthy within our culture, we all must assimilate to that, or we mm. all must essentially worship that idea. That answer. Yes, it a hundred it a hundred percent answers it. Thank you for giving us that definition and giving us that brief but very concise and um, contextual history of not only the term, but how this has come to be. Because I, I liked how you named colonization as the original sin of the Western world. I think Correct. naming that is super important. Um, talking about how racism came first as a system to belittle and demean and dehumanize specifically black folks and then indigenous folks and then everybody. Um, and then race was created a, in order to, like you said, justify these things. And, and then you something else that you named was how it's hidden. It seems hidden now this history, but it wasn't before because it was just, it was very boldly on its face. Like this is how we operate in the world. Right. But because they operated like that, it allowed those roots to take hold. So when people of historically marginalized identities and communities come out and say, no, this is wrong. It can go, Oh, we'll take the L on the front end. And then, but really we're still back here doing this work of white supremacy, making sure that things continue to operate systemically the way that we want them to, even though on its face, it seems like we're losing or, or fighting a battle. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I think it's so important to to name and say the quiet part out loud that the the hiddenness, so to speak, of white supremacy in today's day and age 
is very much done on purpose Mm -hmm. in order to cover up that background work that you're speaking of in order to make sure that those roots continue to be planted deep in in order to make sure that they they continue to go even deeper to make sure that the systems and structures continue to run as they're supposed to. We're just going to change language a little bit. We're just going to kind of um, appease or placate people to make them believe that this is no longer a thing pass a couple of laws or rewrite a couple of laws, but yet you still had the same outcomes that the the overtly racist laws had in the first place. So that's nothing has changed here. Like it's literally the same thing. <laughs> um, that's all done on purpose. That's all strategic. <laughs> right. It, right. Does, it didn't just so happen that things primarily, the, the, especially the systemic things primarily stayed the same after certain things were supposed to quote unquote change. That's right. not, that, that's not a coincidence and we need to stop treating it as such. Uh, I love it. And can't wait for people to hear this to start internalizing that message. And that leads me to my next question is, how do we pull up these roots within ourselves? So like we talked about at the top of the conversation, you know, white supremacy is a root of our own feelings of unworthiness within ourselves. How do we uproot those things internally so that we can start to address and find our own self-worth? Yeah, that's so good. And this is exactly why I wrote the book. The book helps you do exactly that. And the first step is being able to actually find the roots themselves. You can't Mm. just go dig it up roots. You don't know where they are. You don't know (laughs) what they are, right? So the good news is that they're not super hard to find. They're very, very deep. So you have to keep going and going and going and going and going until you really get to that very beginning roots to be able to kind of uproot. But I honestly don't think that they're very hard to find. But how do you do that? How do you find the roots? That's in learning the history. That's in naming. That's in identifying what is actually going on. What is the truth here? So in my book, I help you do that by taking a couple of the key areas of society and showing you, helping you backtrack historically exactly where this all began. So Mm. you can see how white supremacy over time developed with, you know, planted the root and then um, and then developed over time into this large overarching system that we have. And you can see it playing out in front of your eyes and you can see how it directly what it affected you. And so the first step is actually learning that history. It's learning the truthful history that we were not taught in our history books. We were not taught in schools. Um, And I help you do a good deal of that. Of course, I couldn't cover everything in my book. But I do help you do a good deal of that in this book um, in a way that is digestible, in a way that helps um, it be relatable to you. So we start with understanding the history of anti-Blackness. Where did this come from? Where did this idea come from that Black is inferior and Black is ugly and Black is insert all these different beliefs that have um, that have been associated with Blackness? And then where, on the other hand, the idea that whiteness is so supreme and superior came from. So understanding just that in and of itself is a huge, is, is, that's one really major root. But then it's looking at how the, that foundation of, of white supremacy that we've been talking about, how does it play out in these, these um, other areas or other um, institutions within our society that dramatically affect our culture? So that's in, um, that's in within our family structures, that's within how we're parented. After talking about some of our own individual traumas and understanding where some of our traumas can be linked to white supremacy. We also go into, well, let's look at our our parenting structure. Let's look at the beliefs that our parents 
have held on to because of the foundation of white supremacy within our society. We look at how that plays out in the school system because it's one of the first places that we, whether it's public school, private school, charter school, or even being homeschooled, white supremacy, again, it is the air we breathe. It is the water that we swim in. So it's inescapable unless you know you're actively divesting from it. So no matter how you are schooled, white supremacy culture is going to come into play. So we look at historically, well, where did that come from? Where did the creation of the public schools come from? And how did the foundation and the, the, the systemic foundation of public schools and then segregation and then the creation of standardized testing and grades and all that stuff that all has racist roots, how does that play into how we had this idea today of what school is supposed to be and the message we're, t- we're telling our children about how their worthiness is linked to a grade point average versus their character or versus their 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 multiple abilities and and differing abilities and talents and and humanity, right? Then we look into um, our economy. We look into the history of capitalism and that's linked to white supremacy. We look into beauty and diet culture and wellness industry and that's roots in white supremacy and racism. We look into hustle culture and that's roots in white supremacy and racism. So we're looking at it from many different um, angles. And those aren't the those aren't the only ones by any means. Those are just the main ones that I focus on in my book. And I encourage the readers to say, hey, okay, if there's other areas that, you know, really make sense for you to look into, continue with this research after this book, continue reading, continue doing that digging and learning about the roots of all of these different industries and subcultures within our overarching culture. Because nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, you're going to find the racist roots there. You're going to find the anti-Blackness. You're going to find the white supremacy there. And it's going to do the same thing it did for me when I was beginning my research. It's going to set off all of these light bulbs in your head that's going to make you realize, aha, once you see those, you're going to be able to dig them up because you're going to realize the truth for what it is, right? If you take mm-hmm. something as um, something like like school, for example, right? You know, most of us go through the school system without really giving a thought of how things are done you know, with, which is kind of trusting the process, you know, this right. is just a GPA is what it is. A grade, a gr- your right. grades are what they are. You, you take the standardized test and that means, you know, you're either successful or you're not, you're either qualified or you're not. And have we ever really stopped to question, well, where did this stuff come from and why are we giving it so much weight? And it doesn't mean, I'm not saying it to say that, you know, throw the whole school system away. I'm not saying that because I make it very clear that public schools are very necessary. We need schooling. We, need, we every person has the right to have a, an access to uh, an enriching education and education is needed in order to be able to do anything that we need to do to, to make our society run. Like that, that is what it is. Like you have to learn whether it be a trade or a profession or whatever in order to help our society run. That is just it, to be an adult. You have to learn how to manage your finances. Like that's not a bad thing, but it's, it's understanding how white supremacy is woven into the system in which we do things. So if you realize that that standardized testing has racist roots, and I'm not going to give it all away because, you know, read the book. But if you you realize that, then you can realize, oh, I'm over here putting this weight to these test scores and believing that these test scores are what's going to make me more qualified or make me more worthy or make me better in some way when they really have no bearing on my abilities or my intellect or intellect, excuse me, or, or whatever. So it's just knowing that and you can then begin to separate yourself from 
the conditioning of, mm. of white supremacy and white supremacy culture. I love that. And something that I was thinking about while you were sharing all of like, especially like kind of the meat and potatoes of your book. And I'm glad that you gave, just giving the, <laughs> the, the surface level because people go out and get this and I have to start stop your my, learning. I have to I, stop myself because I'll just tell you the whole well, no, like, that's what oh, these yeah, conversations do. It's just like you want to, we want to talk about it. We want to dig into it. But we also yeah. like, we, we, you, we, yeah. So, but something that this was making me think about is how self-worth, I think we're taught is such an abstract concept. And what you do in your book is you put historical context to what is something that is, seems intangible, something almost maybe unreachable or unattainable in the ways that we're taught about it sometimes, um, particularly coming from, or being rooted in white supremacy. And especially if we don't know that, and if we don't really know the history of what, like you said, like standardized testing, for example, why this was created the way it was and why it operates the way that it does, then we just go ahead and accept the status quo. We move through life thinking this is the way and thinking that there is no other when that's truly not the case. And if we were, if we were only taught and had access to a full telling of history, how we might not be in this position where we are now, where we have to have this conversation and we're doing all of this working backwards in order to work forwards. And so a lot of this conversation is around how do we recognize our own self-worth? And a lot of that has to do with recognizing this historical context. How do we, once maybe we've started on this path, how do we go about ensuring that we see and meet and validate others' self-worth? So not only are we doing that work for ourselves, but that we are also extending that compassion that we give to ourselves through self-worth to others. I'm so glad that you asked this question because that is my my charge as and it, for, first first and foremost. I make it very clear in like the first eight chapters of the book, like, hey, you 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 got it. You got to put on your own oxygen mask before mm. you put on other people's oxygen mask. Um, and your ceiling is imperative it is it is it is so it is extremely important that you prioritize your healing in this that you prioritize your divesting from white supremacy culture within yourself because if you're not doing that work then you are no help to other people at this mm. point you're going to continue to perpetuate it instead so i know a lot of times we want to get ahead of ourselves but you do want to take your time with the personal journey however it does not stop there is a um, huge charge to then take your newfound freedom and liberation from living um, by the rules and the weight and the chains of white supremacy and helping us create a, a world that does not have to also be ruled by white supremacy. And it's it's something that I think a lot of times when we talk about what does dismantling white supremacy look like like you said it, it feels it's kind of like the historical context as well it feels like unreachable it feels unattainable i am not the president of the united states of america or the prime minister of england or whatever or even a, a congresswoman and even mm -hmm. if i was it's not like i can just come into right. congress and be like i dismantle white supremacy today <laughs> like it's not, that's not going to happen so what i help people understand is that we have so much influence where we are within our communities, within our families, within our institutions that we mm. associate with, 
that going back to what I said in the beginning, where we had these individual cultures in our schools, in our churches, in our workplaces, um, in our within our households. And because white supremacy is the air we breathe, the water we swim in, we can begin doing the work right here in these smaller arenas and trust that the ripple effect will take place. And it, is, mm. it may not be something that we see in this overarching way in our lifetimes, but that is okay because we have so much power right where we are. And that looks like um, ensuring that you are prioritizing essentially the antidotes to white supremacy culture in various ways. So it's looking at things like patriarchy, it's looking at things like sexism, it's looking at things like ableism and racism and how those things take place. It's looking at the the individual characteristics of white supremacy culture, perfectionism, individualism, the right to comfort, defensiveness, all of these things, which I explain in my book. And it's choosing to do the opposite of those things with mm. the people that you interact with within your spheres of influence. Is it going to be a piece of cake where you can just walk into church and decide I'm going to, again, dismantle white supremacy with my fist and everyone's going to be like, aha, like, I love it. Like, no, you're going to ha- you're going to be challenged because you're challenging. Challenging white supremacy in a lot of ways is challenging our identity, right? Is it challenging mm. who people are, who we are as a people, as a society? Because like you said, it's something that we just buy into without giving it much thought and just decide this is the way, this is the only way. And so to, to, to say no to that is to, essential, is to essentially say no to what we have placed our identity in. And so, yes, there's going to be challenge. There's going to be pushback. There's going to be detractors. And it's hel- and, and, and what do we do with that? We help people understand that your identity is not in any of these characteristics, these titles, the status, the standards, being able to adhere, to chase this, this overarching standard that society has told you you have to chase it, that your identity is not in that. It's in you as a person, as a human being, your, the, the beauty that you are. And, and, and if you want to add your, your belief system into that, whatever you worship, um, whatever God you worship, then you bring that in, you can bring that into it as well. But it's definitely not in society. It's definitely not in all of this stuff that we've been placing our identity in thus far. Um, so that's what it looks like. It looks like being like that light, essentially, that people are going to try to turn off and going to try to dim and try to cover up because it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. But choosing to do that anyway and choosing to just continue to 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 kind of push the envelope a little bit in in your um in your personal areas but i do believe i will say and then i'll i'll be quiet i do <laughs> believe because the antidotes to to all of these things to all the things that white supremacy does are so freeing and so liberating that i do believe that the detractions that may be met first of all will be everyone not everyone a lot of people will be like oh my god this is amazing like community mm-hmm. what amazing let's Community over individualism, I'm all for it. I want mm-hmm. community. I want a village. We were always supposed to be, you know, doing life as community and not be so individualistic. Like, I'm all in. A lot of people will probably really buy into that and not say buy into it, but will we'll, we'll really appreciate that and right. appreciate somebody saying, hey, there's another way to do things. But for the detractors, I do think that when they see and feel the freedom and the weight lifting off of their shoulder of knowing that you don't have to succumb to these 
to these standards, to to always having to prove yourself and and to being perfect and looking a certain way and acting a certain way and and adhering to all of these little tiny stupid standards that we've been told we have to adhere to, and the weight just kind of comes off the shoulders. I think that that the detractors will they will have no no choice but to be like oh, this is actually way better. I, I I'm here for this, you know. hundred percent. Um, but I think I think you know hopefully when people read this book and they and they get to that part and they begin doing the work in their their individual communities and circles that true liberation will begin to just kind of spread throughout and and we'll finally be able to to really breathe and and really be free the way that we deserve to be and there's the title of the book uh, <laughs> oh, okay first off i don't ever want you to be quiet two i think that Oh my gosh, you said so many things here and I'm trying to like just process through all of them. Um, The ones that I'll hit on specifically, I really liked how you talked about, you know, we have to identify our own self-worth and liberate ourselves because then we'll find our own individual identities. We'll find out who we are and we can find that love for that person. And then we go out and do things. I love what you said about doing it in your own sphere of influence. I think we can swing for the fences a lot. I do that too often. And I've been trying to like bring it down, localize it a little bit more, make affect that change in my small circle. And it's like, okay, like you said, the ripples will go outward. And then when you are doing this work, it is about challenging this like, the societal identity that is placed upon us. And I feel like this is a running theme and not just conversations I've had, but literally every conversation that I've had since April. And I'm probably going to change the show name, but about this mindset of scarcity that we live under because of white supremacy, we are told that there is not enough for all of us. So you have to be this way. You have to live this way. You have to dehumanize yourself because that's the only way you're going to get enough to be able to survive. And it's just not the case. It's just not true. And there is there is an abundance of, of of everything that you could want out there. But we have been told and we have been taught to limit ourselves in the thinking to fall in line with a nationalist or societalist view of who we are to give up individualism in the worst possible way in order to just be a cog in that machine. Because by being a cog in the machine, you're not challenging that identity. You're not going out finding your own creative avenues. You're not doing your own things because scarcity teaches us that we can't do that. We have to do, we have to fit in where we need to be at. This is why our healthcare system is horrible because it says that there is only so much healthcare to go around when we can literally look at many other, almost every other country in the world and see that is not the case. That is not the case. And so as we wind down this conversation, thank you so much again for sharing so much of this knowledge, for being a teacher, for being an educator, for being somebody who is leading us through these conversations and helping us find our own self-worth. Who are you learning from right now? Oh, I'm really enjoying reading The Humanity Archive by Terrence Lester right now. Such a good book. I just, I can barely even like get through the I'm not even at the middle of the book yet because I just keep stopping and underlining and and <laughs> and reading more things um that yeah that's like the main book that I'm reading right now I I've had like a lot of different books that I'm reading I'm also reading um Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond that is such a good book whoa um so I highly recommend that one and there's a lot of different online educators that I that I learn from constantly I'm feel like I'm always like think of people in their Instagram handles like that's 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, a hundred percent. What are their names? I'm like seeing people's faces in their Instagram handles right now, which I can give you a list of them um, sure. because there's so many and you can put them in your show notes. But I would say if I had to go with the authors that I'm learning and I'm always, oh, I'm always learning from Dante Stewart. That's, that's, mm, um, yep. he's a great one. Um, and I'm always learning from Ibram X. Kendi. I'm still working my way through Stamp from the beginning. Um, and that was um, one of the books that I that influenced a lot of my research in my book as well. So that that um, really big shout out to Ibram X. Kendi. I'm always learning from Nicola Hannah-Jones. I'm still reading the 1619 Project, another book that inspired a lot of my research. Um, there's just so many people. There's mm-hmm. so many people. There's so many good books out there. So many books on my TBR list. I, I do talk a lot about... Um, diet and, and, and beauty culture as well in my mm. book. And um, a good one is Chrissy King. Her, bo- her book is on my TBR list. And then another author just came out with Your Body's Revolution. That's by Tara Tang. So there's a lot of different books. Uh, Camilla Hernandez, The Hero and the Whore comes out soon. Um, she's a great author, writer. Yeah, there's just so many people. So I know that's a lot I just kind of threw at you. But what I love is that in this work, there's like like you were saying, this is not an, an instance where there's not enough room for all of us or because, you know, I'm talking about this and somebody else is talking about that, that there's no room for anybody else to talk about these things. We need every single book, every single documentary, every single article, blog, TikTok, Instagram post, all of it is needed. There are billions of people <laughs> on this planet and no one of us can reach everybody. There's, there is infinite room for all of us in every single area and every single arena and every single passion and every single calling that we have on our lives. We do not need to live in that scarcity mindset. The number one characteristic of white supremacy culture, which is the first one that I list in my book. And I don't come up with the characteristics, by the way, I sort, <laughs> I cite, um, they're not my work. They're the work of Dr. Tina Oaken. But, um, is fear. And that's because white supremacy culture, it, it, fear is driving that. It's driving this idea that there is not enough to go around and that the success of one person means the failure of another person. That is not true. The success of one person means the success of all, all of us. If we're all able to thrive and be successful in, in what that means for us as a human, mainly having our primary needs being met, um, then, then yeah, amazing, right? We all just get to win. So the fact that there are so many people and everyone has amazing individual takes, whether they're talking about their bodies or they're talking about sexual revolution and purity culture in the church, or whether they're talking about white supremacy in the church, or whether they're talking about whatever it may be, like there's just, there's so much to learn. And I know that feels overwhelming too. It's like, ah, where do I start? Ah. Just start, start, start somewhere. It's fine. But that's that's why we like that's why this work is so important. It's obviously needed because we're all doing this amazing work and we're all talking about it. So, yeah, I just I think it's wonderful that um, I do feel even though things feel sometimes scary, not sometimes all the time. I'm sorry. I'm just talking about it. But you're you know, good. Things feel really scary. A lot of times you turn on the news, you go to your Twitter headlines and there's one thing after another. There's one mass shooting after another. There's one racist incident after another you know, LGBTQ rights are just being diminished at this point. And so many other things are going on. And it feels like a really scary time. It feels like how how do you hold on to any sort of freaking hope when literally every day we you can tell we are we are 
pedaling backwards. We are in a huge moment in our history that is um, a big moment of white supremacist backlash in our history. But when I look at the amazing work coming from this generation's activists and advocates and revolutionaries who are boldly putting their lives at risk to call out white supremacy and to put their name on it and write a book about it or talk about it online or in whatever way, that's what brings me so much hope that there will be light at the end of this very currently dark tunnel. So um, yeah, I hope that might encourage somebody as well that might sometimes feel like this all just feels so overwhelming. I don't know where to start. What's the point anyway? Because things just continue sucking. I hope that that will help you feel a little bit better about that. Well, I can say it definitely is making me feel better. And I can't wait for people to be able to hear this conversation because you just speak so eloquently, so passionately. And so dare I say, hopefully about where we can go, despite the darkness that we currently find ourselves in. And it means a lot. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my audience, I know. So very excited to be able to have you. If you're listening to this on release day, then tomorrow, this book comes out. We'll All Be Free is available. So Caroline, can you tell the people where they can get your book and how else they can support you as we go forward here? Oh my gosh, I just got like butterflies. <laughs> 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 oh, like what is happening? My book is coming out tomorrow. Crazy. Um, you can get the book pretty much wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, online. Um, but also if you wherever you're wherever you're located, we want books in stores. So if you want to see the book in your store, go to your local Barnes and Noble and say, Hey, I'm looking for this book. Do you carry it? Can you order it for me? And they will. And if there is um if people show interest in a book in their individual stores, then the stores will order it and put it on their shelves. They have to see that there's interest there in order to put the the books on their on their shelves and do the same thing with independent bookstores, not just Barnes & Noble, but any of your independent bookstores as well. If you have Black-owned bookstores in your area, I would love to see this book on, on the shelves of Black-owned bookstores across the country. And it takes people going into stores and requesting books a lot of the times for those books to be on those shelves. So if that is something that you feel inclined to do, please do that. That not only helps the book, the author, but it helps the bookstores as well. We need our bookstores. Not everything needs to just be online these days. Um, but if online is more convenient for you, then yes, Amazon, Barnes & Noble booksellers online for sure, Books A Million online, um, and Audible as well. There'll be an audiobook. And uh, if you, if because you said that my book comes out tomorrow, that means today is the last day to pre-order the book. And today is the last day to be eligible for pre-order bonuses as well. Mm. Um, and those pre-order bonuses include all of the journal prompts that are at the end of each chapter of my book comprised in one document for you with journal space so that you can actually follow along with those journal prompts and have everything in one location. It includes a book club discussion guide with deeper dive questions written by myself that correspond with each chapter. So if you want to start a small group or a book club, or you already have a book club and you want to recommend this, or maybe you just want to read the book with a friend. You guys can have coffee after every chapter or two and you can dive into these questions. That is also available. But the best, the best bonus is the fact that the audiobook will be yours free if you hey. pre-order the book. Okay. So um, I will be sending the audiobook to everyone who pre-orders. Um, well, as soon as it's available, sometimes the audiobooks aren't available right at release day. Sometimes it takes a week or two after release day for the audiobook to be available. But as soon as it is, I will be sending it to you. So all you have to do is pre-order the book. 
And then on my website, there is a form that you fill out um, where you just put your name, your email address, and your order number in there. And that will put you on my pre-order bonus send out list. And I will make sure that you get all those bonuses, including the audiobook. Folks, how can you not go out right now and pre-order this book and knowing that you're going to get all these bonuses, particularly a free audiobook? Come on. That is amazing. I'm assuming you recorded the audiobook yourself? Yes, I did record the audiobook myself, um, which is a crazy, amazing experience. I love it. Well, folks, I will only add one other thing. Once you've read the book, please go on to any of the sites that allow reviews and leave a review. Those things are super important for not only the visibility of the book, but for second publishings, things like that. Sales, all of those things matter. Reviews help to drive that. Well, also so other people can know whether it's a book exactly. that's you know, worth buying for them. And Goodreads is also another great place to leave reviews. A lot of yes. people are really active on Goodreads. Um, so Goodreads really helps. Amazon reviews really helps. Barnes & Noble reviews really help. So anywhere you can leave a review, if you feel um, like this book helped you in any way, please do so. So that it can, again, it's the ripple effect. It starts with each of us and each of us has the ability to, to, you know, have an, be, be a part of the, be, be the next ripple, so to speak. We have the ability to be the next ripple and to pass that on. And at the end of the day, this is not, this is not about sales. It's not about you know, the numbers or anything like that. That 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 itself is white supremacy culture. That's not what this is about. This is about That's truly true. making a difference um, in the lives of everybody who picks up this book so we can no longer feel so trapped and so um, burdened by our struggle with our self-worth. We can truly be free from it because we can uncover this missing piece that we have not talked about, which is our society and our culture that has brainwashed us into believing that we have to adhere to a certain standard to be worthy. And that is what we are we are saying no more to. We are definitely saying no more to that. Caroline, thank you so much for sitting down, having this conversation with me and for sharing so much of your knowledge and your wisdom and also so much of your book. Like, I'm glad that we held back some so people can get on there and read this thing, go out and buy it, pre-order it, leave those reviews and support Caroline as we move forward in this journey. Caroline, again, thank you so, so much. Thank you. The pleasure is online. Absolutely. Um, for everybody else, Look in the show notes. There'll be everybody that we just talked about, all the different resources that we listed as well, as well as places to go buy the book and however you want to follow and find and connect with Caroline. If you want to do that, you'll be able to do that there in the show notes too. If you want to follow us, you can do so at Conversation Pod Piece on Instagram. If you feel inclined to leave us a review on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on, that would be greatly appreciated. And if you feel like supporting the show in the future in any way, feel free to hop in my DMs or visit our website, patrickintheworld.me. Until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Piece. Thanks, Caroline. <laughs>